This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to my favorite murder, the celebrity hometown mini-sode. That's right. It's a little extra, a third episode, because we need more jobs for you, (laughs) where we talk to our reliable celebrity friends (laughs) who agree to this that we love. The famous ones that still show up for you. (laughs) Some of the best in the biz. That's right. And we're so excited to talk to our guest today. You've seen him at clubs and colleges all over the country, (laughs) of course. You also may have seen him on AP Bio. He's on tons of stuff. You know him. You love him. Mm -hmm. His name is Patton Oswalt. Patton, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, my favorite murderers. Uh, It is so good. There is nothing more. I I have a bit now where I mention you guys' podcast and... It is organically mentioned, it, it, um, and whenever I say the name of the podcast, the murderinos in the audience just go nuts. It's the best. It is like, it, it, this feels like what it must have been like to make a, a Star Trek reference in 1974. So the people in there are like, ah, back, ah, ah. That we have crossover fan like who'd have thought that a murder podcast and the very funny Pat and Oswalt would have crossover <laughs> fan like I love that. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, exactly. It's crossover appeal. It's all those people from the Sunday night punchline. Oh, <laughs> you know <my> God. <laughs> the, the uh walk in and stand at the bar and hope you get picked God. showcase night. Is that, that your San you Francisco know. days? Yeah. Yes, it was all stand awkwardly in that weird hallway that led back to the kitchen, which by today's standards was so insanely unsanitary because you had <laughs> me and Karen and Lori Kilmartin and Blaine Kapach and Byron Yee, like with one foot <laughs> in the kitchen where they're running back to get people's nacho plates. Uh, and yep. we're just back there smoking weed and yakking. It was just, <laughs> oh my God, how was that place not shut down? <laughs> I mean... For real, yeah. for real. Yeah, it's been a it's been a long time. So it's thrilling to have you here. It's thrilling to um, get to talk to you for a second, Patton. You have your own podcast now. I do with your wife Meredith Salinger. Yes, uh, Meredith Salinger, star of stage and screen. Well, not really stage. Uh, big screen, little screen. That's her. Never really actually did any stage stuff. Now that I think about She's it, She's never done Broadway. No, she never did Broadway. Um, <sighs> So she uh, she and I basically live in a house together, but spend half the day texting each other, even though we're never more than 60 feet away. And and then we, we it's a chance to get together once a week and go over the text, some of which are very cryptic and weird. 
because we'll send them at odd hours. Like, what did you mean by this? Oh, I needed you to go get this. So it, it, it's like two people solving the mystery of their ongoing marriage through text. And it's, uh, here's how bad it's gotten. One night, a couple weeks ago, we were both in bed. We had watched a show and then we're like, okay, good night. And then she like turned away, but she had found this absolutely perfect position with all the pillows. And then mm. I'm next to her, but I saw this really cool picture on, on my phone. I'm like, oh, hey, sweetie. And I wanted to show it to her, but she goes, I have just <laughs> landed in such a perfect position. You have to text it to me. I'm not going to roll over and lose. I got oh all the pillows God. right where I want them. You're not. Mm-hmm. And, and she goes, you're going to text it to me, and I'm not going to be ashamed about it because I'm not giving up this position. So we will text <laughs> each other from inches away. I love that. As a bed yeah. and sleeping and nap connoisseur, I fucking respect that so oh, much. Yeah. It's not laziness. It's pure delight and, and enjoyment. And I respect that. And yeah. pillow architecture. Oh, That's important. Yes. Kind of like you, it really does take a while because if you, I was making the mistake where I bought fancy pillows and then was just laying on them however the pillow would have me. And I would wake <laughs> up in the morning with like a super fucked up neck. And I was like, oh, I don't like these pillows. I just think that I'm supposed to just be on them as they will have me, where it's like, yeah. no, 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 it has to fit. It has to be helping me. Yeah. I can't just take it as it is. Yes, you have to, it has to work for you. I remember one year I hosted a video game awards competition in Vegas, and it was yeah. the year that video games broke big, where it was suddenly overnight, it was a billion dollar industry. And, yeah. and all these game designers who in the past just wore basketball shorts and t-shirts and wrote code on the back of pizza boxes are suddenly they're all billionaires. So they all oh. are at this award ceremony and they've got their bespoke suits on, but it was clear that it was their first ever nice suit because they had put it on at the beginning of the evening and no one had told them that as the evening goes on, you need to stand and adjust and shoot your cuffs because so like they thought it was like a computer program. You put it on and it just runs and does its function. So I was giving awards to all these new billionaires all going up with the jankiest, most expensive, oh. like the sleeve was all jammed up and the, the waist was wrong because they just sat and just forgot. They didn't know how to work a suit. They didn't know how to do it. Those nouveau riche gamers, man. It was all nouveau riche billionaires in their incredibly bespoke cut suits looking like they may as well have gone to uh, Jonathan S. Banks or whatever that place is where you just, <laughs> you buy the suit and it comes apart as the evening goes along. Men's warehouse. Oh, <laughs> Men's warehouse, yes, exactly. Tear yeah. away. Oh, this man. actually goes along with my idea and I can't remember, I don't think I've ever told you because now that you're saying this to me, it would be the perfect idea to pitch to you, mm-hmm. which was when all of that stuff was happening in like the early 2000s, yeah. I had the idea to make a show about nerd finishing school where basically all these <laughs> new billionaires have to go and learn like how to use the fork, how to pretend to be interested in what other people are saying. <laughs> like basically they're being treated yes. like debutantes from the 50s with books on their heads but yeah right but that but that is absolutely true that there is a culture now of people who just either talk to screens or hit run on a program and there's no back and forth interaction and adjusting oh my gosh that would actually be a that would be a profitable business for the nouveau riche how to 
speak without food in your mouth. And yeah, exactly. Right. Use a fork and knife properly. I feel like yes. that is that somehow my mom, even though we were eating breakfast for dinner, because we, she still somehow knew to teach us how to properly and we get, you know, scolded if we used caveman fucking hands yeah. or forks. You know what I mean? That's an important skill that not everyone knows. Yeah. Just for clarification, yeah. I don't want to actually start a finishing oh. school. I just want to make a TV show about it. Yes. Yeah. Nothing real. I thought Karen was like, you know, you'd go to their house and you'd sit down with them. And- I'll be driving all over Silicon Valley. It's going to yeah. be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Like these shoes, you need to actually tie these. I know that right. you're used to Stepping into your shoes, you only walk like eight feet. But in the world, you can't have shoelaces whipping around. There's other people moving around. You need to. Right. Yeah. We we just, um, Meredith had our daughter, Alice, go to a politeness school, like a, not a charm school, like a weekend, once a week um, manners dinner where they learned proper, because she just didn't. There's no examples of that anymore. And, And she, obviously, she's not trying to make her be like a little debutante, but there was this, hey, your dad is a horrible example of how to eat and how to comport yourself because <laughs> I look, I literally, I eat like a, a monkey just learning to use a tool for the first time. <laughs> so um, she's like, yeah, maybe learn to actually sit and not have stuff slopping all over the place. And so that was, that was amazing. <laughs> I appreciate that so much. It's- oh yeah. Yeah. We got busted all the time for pushing rice onto our fork with our thumbs. <laughs> and we would, it was like, my mother's favorite thing to make as a side was minute rice. We, and so we were always just trying to like get a pile on there. And th- my parents would go insane. We're just like, okay, but no one's around. Yeah. Just like, the queen of Spain isn't here for dinner. Can we just, can, it's the last pile of rice. It's really hard to get on a fork. Right. I mean, Meredith's argument is if we teach it now when it doesn't matter, then it'll be second nature, which is out in public. And uh, based on the other people that seem to be coming up, She's going to seem like a Kryptonian with with her manners. Like I can't, yes. I can't believe this kid is actually <laughs> knows how to isn't using her fork like a weird scoop shovel like her dad does. <laughs> how about can we bring back the spork? Is my thing. Like, is mm-hmm. there classy sporks? Well, bring back the spork, or is the spork where we're all eventually going to? Like in and in, in another generation, will it be like? In 2001, where all food is just kind of a mash, it's kind of a slurry Ooh. of protein and carbs. I'd love it. And you just yeah. use the, the spork to kind of scoop it up. Can we still have minute rice on the side? That's oh. all I ask, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, should we pivot into hometown? Yeah. And see what Patton has to say about his random, it could be anything. What does he, what does he associate well, with the word hometown? with here's what i associate my hometown with and this is very much about how and when i grew up because i I got ready for this podcast i grew up in sterling virginia i read up on sterling virginia not no real crazy murders anything like that so then i went a little further afield more out of virginia yes there are some good virginia murders but they are way 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 down in the deep south uh of southern part of virginia down 81 near roanoke near blacksburg that's where, you know, Henry Lee Lucas was born and like, oh. that's where, uh, so, but what I would love to talk about are the, uh, hometown crimes and killings, uh, that never get written about because growing up in the seventies with no internet and no social media, there were the kids in your high school that would blow off their hand with an M80 or <laughs> get drunk and scrape the top of their head off driving home. But they just, 
vanished into their hometowns. They never got out and became a bigger story. Whereas I feel like now when these little tragedies occur, there is a narrative and there's, there's something told. So I just want to do a tip uh, to three people. One, I'm not going to say, I'm going to make up names because because if they're still out there, they're so yeah. far gone that they will track me down. And also, I imagine <laughs> that they are, they've either fallen down a, a QAnon hole or a, a MAGA hole or God knows what. Right, of course. First, we're t- I'm going to talk about John X, who John X was this kid who lived over on, I lived on Sugarland Run Drive. He lived up on Crescent Court, and he was obsessed with the idea of explosives. I think we watched that movie Force 10 from Navarone, where they were going to bomb a, a dam or a bridge or something. And he was trying to make like a time bomb or something. And he blew off most of his left hand in his garage. How old was he? He was, I think he was 16 when he did it. He was older than us, but he was like, he was at at the time. I remember I was like 10 or 11. He was the cool older kid that were like, it's so awesome. This older kid wants to hang out with us. You realize later, the reason he's hanging out with the 10 and 11 year olds is because the other kids his age want nothing to do with him. So he's like, well, I get to be a king to these Little dipshits yes. that are on the same King of the fourth graders as a 16-year-old. Exactly. In the 70s and 80s, there's always the kid in your neighborhood who's into explosives. I think it was yes. my brother, actually. Really? He got the anarch. Remember the anarchist cookbook? Oh, God. Yes. He had it, my mom. Of course they did. Took it away. Yeah. Terrible. Okay, so that was John, John X up on Crescent Court. Blew off most of his left hand. And then I remember it was weird. His parents didn't move away, so he was, I assume, he was still in the neighborhood, but we just didn't see him anymore. Like, I think he just stayed in the house. So I feel like there were many years of me and my friends growing up where if I had looked over at the house, I would have seen, like, his eye maybe, like, peeking out of one of the front drapes or one of those. Yeah, I know. It's horrible, but there you go. John X. Can I just make a counter-suggestion? Go ahead. You know, that could have been a very freeing moment for him. We're in the hospital. He met a cute candy striper, and she Ooh. was like, what are you doing with all these bombs? Yeah. And then he's like, I'm going to go to your school from now on. Let's oh. just turn it. We, we can yeah, turn it. It's like the possibilities for John X to really have had a come to Jesus with that moment and then be like, I'm going to yeah. make bombs for good now. I- <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he works for the government. Maybe he went to boarding school. Had he fucking flourished there? Blackstone is that he could have maybe started that company. I love that you found a happy ending that included love and companionship and purpose for John X. Yeah, I love that. Um, also, deep in my heart, I know he was just peering through that front window at the neighborhood. That was, that was <laughs> you could feel it on your neck. Yeah. Yes, but I like that story better. And if the multiverse is real, then somewhere he's out there yes. with his cool nurse wife and his mangled hand. But she loves <laughs> that mangled hand, damn it. Ooh, yes, she does. Sexy. And, and let's leave it at that. Let's just okay. stop right it. there. One down, one down. Yeah, one down. <laughs> then I will now do um, Tom X. Tom X was a kid who lived up on, there was an actual street near us named Penny Lane. Ooh. Yeah, it was... It was, look, our development that I grew up in, Sugar Run Run, was built in 1970. And it feels like a lot of the planners were like, we just need some Penny Lane. Isn't that a song? It doesn't matter. Penny Lane, that'll be nice. <laughs> Put it up there. Yeah, Penny Lane. And so Tom X was the kid in the neighborhood who got super into, and again, this is all in the late 70s, very early 80s, but got super into martial arts weapons. 
and would send away for the throwing stars and the katana and the nunchucks and um, something like that. And now he didn't himself get hurt. No one dies in this one, but we had Kung Fu Theater on Saturday afternoons, WDCA, Channel 20. And the version that I heard was that he and his brother, his brother was like a year younger than him. They're both kind of dirt bags, but, but good guys, you know, fun to hang out with. And they were yeah. in the backyard and, and Tom X was throwing, throwing stars at his little brother, Tom X parentheses a, and the little brother was trying to catch them in the air. No, and, no. and a, from what I heard, a throwing star went into his brother's cheek. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, I remember the brother being at school with a cut in his cheek, but Tom X got, was like punished for a long time. This is when he was a teenager. Yeah. Nowadays it, it would turn into, we need to ban martial arts weapons. And, but luckily we were still <laughs> just in the phase of other adults going, yeah, some kids suck. Some kids are just dumb. Like, <laughs> yeah. like it didn't create a weird moral panic in the neighborhood, which is nice. No. Yeah. So it was that kid is bad with martial arts weapons. Yeah. Not every kid is bad. Yeah. And by the way, I don't even think it was in terms of because because I also remember in the seventies, like parents really hung out with each other. Like there was just at the end of the day, the people would come out of their homes and just hang out at the cul-de-sac, mm-hmm. and yeah. the parents didn't get shunned or pushed away the, the the other parents were like some of my kids suck too like some of your kids suck <laughs> yeah. they, like they weren't saying you're a bad parent like you do your best and sometimes they're pieces of shit what are you gonna do you know yeah so that was that was actually kind of nice this is reminds me sorry but we've gotten a couple emails because somebody <laughs> sent in this unbelievable hometown about when they accidentally served little kids hard lemonade at the 4th of July neighborhood thing. And it was that thing where they had to tell the other parents and all the other parents thought it was hilarious and just took the kids and put them to bed. So it was like six-year-olds that were walking around (laughs) super drunk. And so then we were like, guys, send us your drunk kids stories. And now we're getting them. And I think there is a subset of parents who get that and maybe it's because they're Gen X so they're like yeah it's not that big of a deal Yeah, it's like they'll sleep it off it's not the end of the world yeah. and right. it is you have to admit it's funny yeah I, I was caught drunk in our house by my parents one time I was up watching a movie wasn't doing anything crazy I just for some reason there was a bunch of beers in the fridge and I said I'm going to have a beer I think I was 16 mm-hmm. and I had one and I got a little buzz and I had a second one and then my mom came down and I was clear I wasn't drunk but I was having a little buzz And then she said, look, if you're going to drink, I don't want you drinking, but if you're going to do it, do it in the house. Like, don't drive somewhere and do it. Like, it was that 70s thing of at least he's doing it here. You know, he's not hurting anybody. So fine, you know. Yeah, completely. So there was that. It was just a whole different attitude. And although now there's a weirdly different attitude, I think, now with Gen X parents, because the idea of pot being any kind of thing that you would either catch your kids with or that it would ruin your life is so a thing of yesteryear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, our daughter doesn't smoke weed, doesn't want to smoke weed, but I just don't ever see it being any kind of big deal down the road. It just isn't a big deal anymore. Yeah. That's just gone now. Yeah. No one cares. And there's no taboo really on it. So it's not like you want to sneak out and do something your parents don't agree with because your no. parents don't really give a shit. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> and again, I'd rather have my kids smoking weed than drinking. Yeah, yeah definitely. If that makes, although I, I will say, I don't want to sound like a fuddy-duddy, I don't smoke weed anymore, but my friends who smoke weed now are like, and, and these are all pot smokers, but, and they're saying, I can't believe I'm saying this. If my kids do smoke, the weed that they have now, 
I would like for me to be there to regulate it a little bit because smoking a whole joint is not the same as smoking a whole joint when we were 20. Oh this my is God. powerful it's nuts. steamroller level stuff. Yes. There's no, yeah. This is not stems and seeds swag. This no, is fucking no, no, no. Yeah. It's intense. Also, it's this, we live in this reality and I think of it all the time. I think the three of us were super Stephen King um, nerds when we were oh, kids, yeah. right? Yes. Patton, it's one of the first things you and I bonded on, I think, is just yep. like listing out. Nice. And I believe it was from The Running Man when there's that woman in her car and she's so stressed out from her day and the traffic and she goes to a vending machine and gets joints. Yeah. And I remember reading that when I was like 15, I'm like, that's fucking amazing. <laughs> and, and now like your kid drives around and there's the pot store here, the pot store there, yeah. these beautiful, they look like bakeries. Oh my God. <laughs> Gorgeous. They do. They look gorgeous. They're gorgeous. Yeah. Is that a lamp store? No, they sell weed there. It's like, it's crazy. It's the future. Yeah, I, I remember a friend of mine uh, pointing out that there was, again, this panic about, well, if we legalize weed, it's just going to be in stores. Kids are going to go in and buy it. I'm like, well, there are cigarettes and beer in gas stations. I can buy them, but I don't. It doesn't mean that, oh, my God, I guess I got to buy. Just because it's there doesn't mean that everyone will run in and buy it we i drive by weed stores all the time I'm like mm. yeah it's weird you mentioned stephen king because my daughter who is 12 has because of stranger things has now reverse engineered herself into mm. stephen king so i have <laughs> to review when she was like eight i read her eyes of the dragon which is his young adult novel that's his little mm-hmm. good for kids but she really really likes his writing so She's like, I want to, I want to read some of this stuff. So I had to like skim back through a lot of the stuff that I read at her age, and and again that wonderful 1970s parental neglect. Um, <laughs> I reread The Stand, which I read when I was ten. Oh my I was god, ten. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my god, how was I allowed to read this? And I was like, sweetie, I can't have you read The Stand, but I did let her read The Institute, which is like Stranger Things but a little grittier. Oh, yeah. And now yeah. she's reading The Talisman, um, okay. which mm-hmm. the, the one that he wrote with Peter Straub. And I think next year I'll let her read Salem's Lot. Like, I have to now oh, yeah. be careful about, because what was okay for me, maybe not okay <laughs> for her right now. Maybe let's ease her into it a little bit. Cujo? Maybe a nice nice doggy story would be well, okay? Well, except Cujo, I, I, I re-skimmed through Cujo, Yes, it is a really cool tense story, but there's a whole ugly part of the middle, which makes me wonder a little bit about what Stephen King was going through at the time, where the wife is having a really gross affair with this failed hack writer who doesn't he come into their house and like jerk off on their bed? Oh, God. I blocked all of this out. Yes, exactly. At like 12 or 13, I read Gerald's Game. Oh, what? that one? What the Ooh. fuck? That's Ooh. like straight up bondage rape. Like, yes! yeah. Where was my mother? Where was my mother? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there was, again, there was stuff that just the, at the time it was, well, it's a big bestseller and it, it's just monsters. What's the big deal? It's a book. Yeah. Like, my, my daughter wants to read Carrie, and I was like, we're going to wait till you're out of high school because that's going to yeah. kind of fuck you up, <laughs> especially now, you know. Didn't yeah. Stephen King write Cujo when he was blacked out? Like, he doesn't remember writing it. Yes. I love that. I, I, I just gave my daughter the book on writing, which is his memoir oh, about yeah. writing, which is actually good. Great. And there was a funny Onion op-ed about 20 years ago of, I don't remember writing the Tommyknockers. Like, ha Because And the joke was, <laughs> I read so many books, I don't remember it. But in on writing, he goes, I do not remember writing Cujo, Christine, or the Tommyknockers because he was so... <sighs> 
whacked out of his head. And and the Tommy Knockers is a brilliant book about overcoming cocaine addiction. He just mm. hides it as alien. But it's about being oh a cocaine God. addict. That's what the whole book is about. God damn. I got to go back and read these again. Yeah. I know. I'm getting so excited about this sub-conversation <laughs> because I was going to say, what about Firestarter? Ooh. Firestarter is very much... That'll be one that I'll let her read. The only thing about Firestarter is there's a very weird section where this psychiatrist who is studying the kid who can start fires has a weird sexual kink where he puts on ladies' underwear and then jerks off while he looks at a garbage disposal running. It's this whole thing. And then oh, yes, that's right. And then the father does a weird mental push on the guy to make him shove his hand into oh. the thing while he's jerking off. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna wait a little it's totally stranger <laughs> things. It's stranger things. With a weird jerking off to a garbage disposal fetish. I literally think about that part of that book every time I use my garbage disposal. I literally sit there and go, don't put your hand in that. Yes. Please don't put your yeah. hand in that. It's yeah. so fucked up. It's so yeah. fucked up. I feel like if you just grab a Sharpie, go through each and every one, and just, I, I feel like it'll be half the book. Redacted. 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 No jerking yeah. off. No jerking don't off. Don't need this. Don't need this. Well, I'm going to have her read the novella, The Body. I think that one's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she'll watch Stand By Me. I'm um, oh, yeah. a little older. I mean, Firestarter is just R-rated Stranger Things. It's just Stranger yeah. Things with with some serious violence and sex in it. What about It? I feel like it's similar, but it's so much scarier. <laughs> Guys, listen. <laughs> it, Guys. it has aged. They basically defeat the monster by kind of gang-raping the girl at yeah. the end. Yeah. Why am I forgetting all of and this? And I'm like, I don't know if this is the best thing <laughs> All right, to you know what? Yeah. There are other authors. There are great books out today for kids. <laughs> Let's... By the way, there are great Stephen King novels. I just have to be careful yes. what... I, I don't... Because I, Karen and I just had it all thrown right at us. Like, yeah, yeah. get... Get a, get a nice monster book. They didn't know any better. And now <laughs> yep. we're like, look, I mean, and I remember when, I, even when I was reading it, which I think I read, that didn't come out to like the, the late 80s. I was in high school. But even then I was like, this is a little fucking weird. Yeah. I don't know what's going on here. They're what? They're all fucking the girl? <laughs> and also, I almost like kind of expected it or knew that there was always going to be a part that freaked me out more than the scary stuff. Yes, always. It was troubling. But yeah. ultimately, the part that I was like, he did not have to make it a big giant spider. I really oh. don't like that. Yes. Yeah. I don't like it. Not to be a big nerd, but in his <laughs> first memoir, Dance Macabre, he talks about if you sh- if you have something scratching on the other side of a door, but you never show what it is, the reader's mind goes insane from fear. And if you open the door and it's a ten foot spider, they freak out for two seconds, and then they go, "Well, if it had been a hundred foot spider, that would have been worse." Now, if yeah. you then open the door and it's a hundred foot spider, they would have gone, "Oh my god!" And then they would have gone, "But if it was a thousand foot spider," so he broke yes. his own rule at the end of it. By having it be a big spider. Yeah. Well, look, maybe he was drunk. When I get drunk, I just watch fucking Trailer Park Boys, but apparently he <laughs> writes novels, so. Well, not only, like, even his drunk novels are fucking amazing. There's parts yeah. in Cujo. There's a whole section about the guy with the breakfast cereal that turns kids shit red, and he shows <laughs> how it moves through the culture. Like, before there were memes, he shows, like, it becomes a George Carlin routine, and then Johnny Carson talks about it, and then it becomes a a T-shirt. Like, he shows how something becomes a meme, and the fact that he was writing that during a 
drunken blackout. Yeah. That's a level of genius I can't even begin to imagine. Yeah. A drunken blackout, what, I guess now it would be almost 50 years before it was a real thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was incredible. <laughs> like a true visionary. In his memoir, he would he said during that time he would wake up, he would drink a bottle of NyQuil for breakfast. That was his Ew. breakfast was a bottle of NyQuil. Then he would do Coke all day and just... Shit. And, you know, that's what he's, and he was, that's also when he was writing so many novels that his agent said, you're flooding the market. This will hurt your sales. Think of a pseudonym. And he wrote four other novels under a fucking pseudonym. <laughs> he's just, he's this force of nature. Yeah. He really is. Yeah. 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 It was amazing. I was reading one book on a plane one time and I remember getting this weird feeling because I knew technically I was reading, but it felt like I was thinking the story. That's oh. how smooth and wow. beautiful the writing was where, because yes. sometimes I think it, whether it's like an ADD thing or a whatever, where I almost have to put like a book mark under and trace it down so that I don't skip. So do I, yeah. And that never happens with his books because it's like my eyes are ingesting the story. Yes, he never, ever loses you. And it's why a lot of, that's why a lot of his audio books are so fun to listen to, even if you've read the book, because they they bring you in from from a Buick 8, which is a novel told from like eight different points of view. So for the audio book, they got eight different actors, brilliant, like Bruce Davidson and the mom from Freaks and Geeks, to do each part, and you never, like, I remember listening to that book on tape, I would get to meetings, and I would go in late, because I was sitting there like, I, I can't, I need to know what happens here, I can't, like, go in, and I would go in, like, 10 minutes late, and I'm like, what is this audiobook, I really like it, I'm sorry, you know, so. I love that, I know that when I don't mind sitting in traffic, or when I actually get my ass out and hike, that means I'm really into the audiobook I'm listening to. Yeah. That's the yes. only way I'll hike or enjoy traffic, like, period. <laughs> the best. This is our wow. new Stephen King podcast. Yeah, this is, wow. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah, I know. look for us. <laughs> yeah, look, thanks for listening to Hail to the King. And um, <laughs> I was also, there, there was a bit of a, I'm going to admit that there was a bit of a daddy bragging when I let her read the Institute because I'm mentioned in it. So I'm part oh. of, I'm in the Kingverse now. So that was like a, hey, enjoy this. And then I was waiting for like a few days later, she goes, Body, that's you. Like, oh my yeah, God. you know, it's weird. I just kind of showed up in there. So that is so cool. That that's is really badass. Yeah. yeah. But but if you had told ten year old me who was like reading the stand and like Ugh. my friends and I would argue as to who you would cast in the stand as all the different parts. Like that would yeah. that would go back and forth and you know, oh Stu Redman, that's Bruce Springsteen, man. Like we would just <laughs> bat everyone that has to be that person. So did you watch the most recent version? I did. I, I, it was. It'll never be as good as the movie in your head. No. That's, yeah. the, that's no. the thing about a writer that good is that you've already watched this movie. I, and, and you've watched a great movie. You're right. You've, I've watched a great movie. I don't need to. Yeah. yeah, you're right. And also in my mind, it is set in the late seventies, even though he has it set in 85 when he first wrote it. But Franny Goldsmith always has, Long Jan Brady type hair and is a hot yeah. '70s girl and the uh, Larry Underwood is that kind of Jerry Rafferty kind of rocker like that yes, kind of look. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like I just had that in my head. Can't be any different. Yeah, they already look like someone. So how? And then suddenly there's someone yeah. else on the screen. You're like, that's not them, right? And also. I know how Baby Can You Dig Your Man goes. I probably could play it on the guitar. I should do a cover of that song. Why don't I, you, why haven't you done, you, you should absolutely do that. That'll be the theme song for the podcast. 
This is all working out. For the new <laughs> podcast that we just made? For our new podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's called Baby Can You Dig Your Cat. <laughs> I love it. Da- Baby Can You Pod Your Cat. That's what it's going to be called. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant? Like, perfectly scrambled eggs. Oh my God. Yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient made in cookware. Made in was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Maiden. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of made-in products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com slash murder. And here's the important note. That promo code is 
all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Okay, wait, are you going to give us your third story? What's the third one? Okay, well, this is one, uh, this is sort of connected to my family a little bit. So I can name some names in this one. It's very, very strange. I wrote, I wrote down as much of this as I could. My uncle Pete, who uh, suffered from schizophrenia, but still a, a really nice guy. But when he was growing up, he grew up around uh, Mount Washington, um, outside of uh, D.C. Or he, he grew he grew up in that Rainier. It, it was some neighborhood near Washington D.C. And his priest, his neighborhood priest, Father Bowen, suddenly left the diocese and went had to travel to the Midwest to do something. Um, and then when he came back. He was really, as my Uncle Pete said, very, very messed up, and clearly something had gone horribly wrong. Mm. Turns out that his parish priest, also my mom's parish priest and my, you know, my grandparents, was the priest that went out, I believe it was in Nebraska in the 50s or 60s, and did the exorcism that the exorcist is based on. He is oh, the guy, shit. he's the basis for Father Marin. And he did, went and did something and came back. And, and, as, you know, and of course, the only one who remembers it is my, was my schizophrenic uncle who passed away. But I guess it really, there was some kind of weird connection. And then, then there was also a local case, although the kid was just schizophrenic. But at the time, they thought it was demonic possession. And he also, Father Bowen handled that one. I don't know if I have the timeline correct. I think he did the local one first, then went out to the Midwest. And the Midwest was apparently the real deal. Or it was something really, really messed up. And then he came back and was never the same and then eventually just kind of vanished. Oh, so wow. there's a weird connection in my family to the case oh my God. that the exorcist is based on, which to me is I want to know everything about what yeah. he saw and experienced. Yeah. The fact that it messed him up is crazy. It was their priest. And because of the times, it was way easier to just cover things up and let them fall down a memory hole back then. Nowadays, yeah. it, it's weird. I was, I was saying... You know, because I'm back on the road again doing shows, and a lot of my friends are saying, well, is, it, is it weird out there? And I was like, no. You know, when you're back out on the road, I'm, I'm paraphrasing Bobcat Goldthwait, you go back out on the road and you realize, oh, Twitter and the internet isn't the world. No. There's the same amount of craziness. There's just way more cameras filming everything. And <laughs> there just weren't cameras. There weren't as many cameras back then, so a lot yeah. of stuff just became weird, half legends or half information, which makes it even more sinister and weird. Yeah. The fact that we don't have all that chronicled. Uh, yeah, it's almost like all the urban legends that we, in like the 70s, 80s, up until the 90s, we all just pass them around. And you know what I mean? Like yeah. I told Georgia about the nights where you and Blaine would bring over the VHS copies of all, that basically was beginning of YouTube of like, here's the orchestra that falls through the stage. Yep. Here's the <laughs> farting preacher. Here's this. And it was like, Blaine and Patton would bring us YouTube and we'd lay around in someone's living room and watch these, these viral videos before any of that existed. But once the internet started, like I can remember multiple times where like youngsters that we did comedy with, I would tell some story and be like, that's an urban legend. That's not true. Mm -hmm. And they'd immediately just look it up and hold it up where I'm like, 
you mean I have to retire my old story that I love to tell the children? Like, it's like, no, you're a liar. That was yeah. never really the truth. Well, back then, instead of making it an article in The Guardian, they would make a fucking fictional movie about it and just like yeah. blow it out of proportion a little bit, but also mm-hmm. make it the raddest thing ever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, again, I'm sure in the, the real deal was the kid was probably suffering from some insane like profound form of schizophrenia or mental illness, but the parents and, and whatever the medical establishment at the time wasn't able to deal with it. And it passed over into what felt like demonic possession or dark powers, which I'm sure a lot of stuff does. Although now it feels like there's a big section of the population that is like, I do not, I would rather not be a part of the 21st century. I would like to be in an era of dark powers where I can, where I can blame things and categorize it rather than, have it all laid out like it, it, it's frightening to go into the future so some people just go nope it's yeah. yep. there's a weird conspiracy and it's just there are as we're talking right now there's people gathered in dealey plaza waiting for robin williams and kobe bryant to reappear and yeah and with jfk jr because they believe that it's all been faked and we're living in a simulation mm. when when actually what they really just want is like a meetup they're yeah. just lonely. They're, They're lonely. lonely and they want connection and they want someone to go, I understand why you're afraid. I am too. I can't remember my password and I'm using an <laughs> iPhone 4. Like that's really what we're dealing with. But they, yes. but the media keeps going, no, no, no. You know, let's keep on filming these people grouped up. And it's like, to me, it's it's such an expression of kind of like modern loneliness. And once you fall behind, you feel like you are obsolete. Obsolete, yeah. yeah. You're a living ghost. Like, do I even mm-hmm. exist in this world right now? If I don't have, if I didn't do the latest update on my, with my apps, do I exist? Am I part of the, yeah, it, it is really weird. And it also, and this is going to sound a little dark and weird, but just follow me. Okay. Stay with me on this for a second. Definitely. I wonder how many of, the famous serial killers and mass murderers in history would not have gone down the serial killer mass murder tunnel if they had had some social media. Even if it was a poisonous form of connection, I will bet you a lot of the people on these QAnon threads and these alt-right threads, if they didn't have those threads, would be doing way worse stuff. Hmm. As it is now, they're just participating in a creepy LARP. And it is creepy, and it's false, but maybe... There's the good in it is that they're not feeling completely isolated and killing people. Yeah, is that a weird thing to say? Or well, no, camaraderie is a huge part of our the social fabric, right? And it's necessary, so that makes total sense. Yeah, there's there's very little like you can you can find common groups right online, no matter what your thing is. So if it's like. The it's Stephen King obsessives, we could have all found each other. And yeah. then if it's the thing where I need you to theorize modern life down to this insane thing and make me get fired up about it and try to fight what I think yeah. is one singular evil as yeah. opposed to the entire scary, awful world where bad things happen mm. constantly. Exactly. Or stuff is just random and it's and sometimes totally nice people have horrible things happen to them. And we're seeing, again, because there's cameras everywhere, we are now seeing that a lot of blatantly evil people just absolutely don't get punished and never face the consequence. So it really makes, especially like action movies and superhero movies look like the prayers that they are. Uh, You know, can't something 
come out of the sky with superpowers and punish the evil people and lift up the good people because it ain't happening in our reality. No. I'm watching people openly breaking the law and nothing's happening to them, yeah. you know, and that's scary. I mean, a lot of the stories we tell on the podcast, there's, there is no justice or there are, you know, such huge gaps in people getting, uh, you know, what they deserve in terms of punishment that it's just like, where, where do you find that in the world to make you not feel like everything is a fucking mess? But I think, and we've talked about this before, I think the good part of that is that there is something to opening your eyes to the fact that this is a real thing. So yes. no longer do Black people have to try to tell anybody else, cops pull us over for no reason and threaten our lives. That used to be a, okay, easy, you know, right. what, the rationalization of that kind of daily, uh, like, abuse of rights and justice is now inarguable. Yeah. And it should have never been argued, but no longer does anyone get to say anything about it other than, holy shit, this has to change. And it just started, you know, that awareness. Yeah, yeah. we're just at the beginning of it. And so what we're seeing, I think, right now is the beginning of this massive truth is being shown to everyone. Mm. And just like um, human honors and, and climate deniers, sometimes that truth is so massive that it's easier and Makes us a better go. I think it's all fake. I, I just think, I don't think it's. I know people that I grew up with, unfortunately, that are on Facebook that are like, "This is all. This is all fake footage. It's not real because it's too big to accept. Yeah. It's so scary. Yeah. It's way too big. And same with climate change feels so massive. But what you can control is. But I can control who goes into a bathroom. And maybe if I do that, Ugh. Jesus will fix the other thing. If I do this weird ritualistic thing, and by the way, I'm just as guilty of it. If I have a massive writing deadline, never are my bookshelves more organized than when I have uh, pages to turn in. I had writing to do this morning. I don't know if you can see, but I basically, my my daughter has this thing of like costumes back here. So I organized all this to donate to a school. Um, and didn't write a single page of what I was supposed to write today. So there you go. Did you bring the steamer over there and like, this snow white dress has wrinkles in it. Let's fix this up. No, I didn't do that. I probably could have done that. But no, I have a friend who works with like, you know, public schools and stuff like that. So we're just going to donate this. And she just collects Halloween costumes and she makes Aww. stuff. And I'm like, you've outgrown everything. Let's donate them. So there you go. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. that's an important thing too. I feel like that writing Organized. is important, but... <laughs> You know, you're doing something for the greater good here. Oh, dear God in heaven, so, yeah. You're accomplished. But, but, that's, but that's the same thing. It's like, I, you know, you can't, there's something big. I'll do this little thing that I can control. Yeah. Can I just say one final thing? Because you telling your story about Uncle Pete. Yeah. And I believe this is, I know this from your book, although it could be just from watching you do stand-up for mm-hmm. fucking 40 years. <laughs> um, no offense. Um, wow. A little hurtful, but Okay. You told a beautiful story that your Uncle Pete had a spot that he used to sit at on the front porch and kind of just sat there silently. And he was basically a fixture in this spot. And when your Uncle Pete died, people came and put, oh God, it killed me on your book. They came and put 7-Eleven cups of coffee or Wawa? No, it was was the 7-Eleven little cup of coffee that he had and they put a little cup of coffee there because that's where he was. Yep. Like strangers that the family didn't know, but people who walked by who knew him as the guy that sat there, there he is. found out he died and gave him this little tribute and this honor. And I, it got me 
it's such a beautiful story of like, that's the kind of thing. Those are the kind of connections that people have to remember. Yes. And we don't, yes. we don't get them now. We've all been locked up in our houses for so long, but like, that's the key right there. I think. Yeah. This, this Halloween, someone put a flyer in our mailbox saying, we're going to attempt to do trick or treating in the neighborhood. If you want to leave your lights on or put a decoration on so we know. And I got so fired up, not because, <laughs> and, and like, like, Three groups of trick-or-treaters came by in that two-hour window, but it was talking to the other parents. Where do you live? Oh, you're like three of And it was good to see everyone. And yeah. it felt yeah. like, if anything, that's going to bring back sanity way quicker than anything that moveon.org or the Lincoln Project will do online. It's just, he's knocking your neighbor's door. And I'm sure some of those neighbors were probably Trump voters, but when it comes down to it, I just wanted my kids to go trick-or-treating. It's fun. I'm like, yeah, this is great. And I... Put some decorations out, and here we go. Like, yeah, totally. I don't know. It's really nice. So, yeah, yeah, especially in yeah. this fucking in the past two oh years. Oh my god, yeah. yeah. Do you guys live in good trick or treating neighborhoods or no? Mm-mm. I live on no. like so. When Vince and I sat, we do like our neighbors know us now <laughs> because we do garage beers. Where we yeah. just sit in our garage and drink beers, and then they walk by and we make them talk to us. And if mm-hmm. they don't talk to us, we judge them. <laughs> So everyone knows our dog now. We know everyone's dog. So we did that and had a couple people walk by and I got more excited and probably than I should have and scared them. Right. But yeah, I live on a, like a quiet street, but no. all I want is a, is a block party. Yes, do a block party. I want to live in yes. a block party neighborhood. Do a block yeah. party for God's sake. By the way, how- And you're on a cul-de-sac, so no one comes around probably. Cul-de-sac and a hill. Right. The old combo oh. where it's like, if someone came to my door, I'd be like, here, let me just write you a check for $100 because- <laughs> <laughs> You made it. Son, you've earned it. Yes. Go buy yourself some, go buy yourself some um, arch support. You made it up here, yeah. man. <laughs> You need some knee braces, some <laughs> copper-based knee braces after this. How excited and nostalgic did you guys get when the um, the great, uh, our, our modern version of the uh, trick, poison trick-or-treat candy popped up this year where everyone thought <laughs> that people were going to hand out edibles? Uh, with yeah. All my friends who do edibles were like, I would not buy edibles and give them to a bunch of those <laughs> kids. What the hell are these people thinking? I mean, ugh. Yeah. There was a genius tweet where someone's like, no one likes your shitty kid enough to give away $40 <laughs> pot gummy sour patch kids or whatever. It was so hilariously. This thing that sucks also about always being on Twitter, I remember the tweets and I do not remember, unless it's a friend of mine, I right. don't remember who, yeah. who wrote it. And that one, it was like, you're shitty kid. <laughs> No one's gonna. No one's gonna give your shitty kids some free edibles. Don't yeah, worry about it. No one's interested. There was an actual true crime story, and I don't know if you guys covered this in the vaults of uh, my favorite murder. But a father did, yeah, I believe in the eighties, tried to poison his kid with candy and use the cover of. Oh, he was given poison Halloween candy, not realizing that even the police were like, "This is a myth. No one does this," and that's how they caught the guy. Yeah, pixie sticks. He tried to- Georgia did that one, pixie yeah. sticks. Oh, you did it? Yeah, he tried to purloin letter it and hide it in plain sight and backfired. And actually, my husband, Vince, who's, you know, from five years younger than me, so 70s, 80s, they yep. had to, a couple of years, had to take their candy to the police station to get it um, x-rayed, <laughs> or what is it? Like metal detected. Yeah. <laughs> because around this time, until everyone was like, this is not real. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, he tells that story every year. It's like, that's what it was like back then. Paranoia. 
We had a, a genius story of going up and it was like someone's older girl cousin who was the like standing at the end of the walkway waiting for us as six and seven-year-olds walked up to trick-or-treat. And this one house, it was the littlest old lady. And she was like, hello, oh, don't you look so cute? And she was talking to us. And she gave each of us like a powdered sugar covered homemade cookie. And so we walked back with it in our hands. Like we kind of didn't know what to do. And we walked up to the the teenage girl of like, she gave us this and she hit both of our hands and the cookies flew out. She's like, don't eat that, wipe your hands. It was fucking hilarious. Like the most apathetic teen. And suddenly she like slaps them out of our hands. Like, you're not eating that. Oh my God. I hope that didn't happen all night. And the next morning, this old woman goes down to like get the belt and there's just cookies everywhere. Like the neighborhood hates me. Oh God, no. That's what I was thinking too. <laughs> she didn't pre-wrap her cookies. Oh. She didn't think it through. She's oh. very old. Oh, she grandma. was from the 1800s. <laughs> she, was a, she was a ghost. She was a ghost. <laughs> she was a ghost. We have kept you so oh much God. longer than we said we oh, would. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. This, I could, we went down the best rabbit holes on this I one, man. This. <sighs> just... Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. I will yes. I will update you guys as to where Alice is on her um Stephen King reading, but she just started the talisman and then uh more stuff is on the way. So yeah. Love it. That's so exciting. Well, of course, everyone knows your Netflix special, Pat and Oswald, I love everything, but you want to talk about real quick your um your upcoming tour? It's so exciting. <laughs> yes, uh my upcoming tour, <laughs> I am going to yes. be <laughs> On uh, December 3rd, I'll be at the Uptown Theater in Kansas City. And the following night, I'll be at the Pageant in St. Louis. And then after that, that's uh, uh, the next weekend. I go out on a Friday. I come back on a Sunday. That's it. I cannot do the long Bob Seger, you know, just the drone of an engine for weeks and weeks. I can't do that anymore. We get it. We get it. The following weekend, I'll be at the Carnegie Music Hall in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, that dude built halls everywhere, I guess. And then, of course, yeah. the fabulous Agora in Cleveland, Ohio. So Lovely. Nice. So go to PattonOswalt.com for tickets. And then, of mm-hmm. course, listen to the incredible uh, Did You Get My Text with Meredith and Patton <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. For in 2022, um, baby, can you pod your cast? It'll be the old <laughs> Stephen King all the time. Yep. <laughs> We have to do. We have to have some creative meetings. We have yeah. to uh, get through some contract stuff. We have but to once pitch we get it to it, our own network and make sure. Yeah, that yeah, our... yeah, we can't get it by ourselves. Are you kidding? It's we have to pitch it to Stephen King himself. <laughs> we got to get the handwritten approval. This was Yay. a delight. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. I love it. Yay! Amazing. Yay. Bye. Bye, Elvis. Do you want a cookie? This has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Hannah Kyle Crichton. Our associate producer is Alejandra Keck. Engineered and mixed by Andrew Epen. Send us your hometowns at myfavoritemurder at gmail.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at myfavoritemurder and Twitter at myfavemurder. For more information about the podcast, live shows, merch, or to join the fan cult, go to myfavoritemurder.com. And please rate, review, and subscribe. Goodbye. Goodbye.